This is the Bird Hugger Podcast with Katherine Greenleaf, the podcast for people who love birds. Welcome to the Bird Hugger Podcast. I'm Katherine Greenleaf, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm on board for a full 30 minutes of talking all things birds and restoring native habitat. What happens when a burnt-out college professor living in New England decides to become a wildlife rescuer and rehabilitator? Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds. Hello there, everybody. It looks like fall has finally arrived and is planning to stay. As temperatures dip into the low 40s and leaves start to drop from the trees, we get the opportunity to survey our yards and gardens and take stock of what we have accomplished over the past year. I'm checking the natives I planted and counting the number of bird nests in my yard. I don't know about you, but the more native trees and plants I put in my yard, the more birds I see. Seems like a pretty good payoff, don't you think? We've got another interesting show for you today. Today, we'll be speaking with Dr. Rebecca McCabe, an avian biologist from Hawk Mountain Sanctuary, about the migration of the broadwing hawk. In particular, Rebecca will be giving us some exciting updates on Hugger, the female broadwing we are sponsoring with a location transmitter. Okay, and now I'd like to welcome Rebecca McCabe to the show. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Catherine. Now, could you tell our listeners about your position and the work that you do? Yes, of course. So I am a research biologist at Hawk Mountain Sanctuary. I have a long-term relationship with the mountain. I started volunteering here when I was in my undergrad and fell in love with the place, became a conservation science trainee, and then went on to become a grad student and worked on the Broadwing Hawk Project for my master's degree, and then went on to do my PhD studying snowy owls, but I still continue to do research on the Broadwing Hawks. That is fantastic. So now we are very excited about the tracking program that you guys are running with the Broadwings, and we are absolutely thrilled to hear that Hugger, our Broadwing Hawk, has made it all the way down to Louisiana. (laughs) Yes, yes, we are so, so excited to see all the birds transmitting. And this is our first year where we have this many tagged broad-winged hawks on migration that we can follow south. So this is really exciting for us as well. It is very exciting. So could you talk about the program a bit, you know, what it is you're trying to find out with these tracking devices? Yes, of course. So like my colleague, Dr. Lori Goodrich, she was on the podcast a few months ago and introduced your listeners to the work we're doing. And we launched this study back in 2014, just trying to understand a little bit more about the ecology of the broadwing hawks throughout their annual cycle. So what they're doing on their nesting grounds, on migration and down during the wintering period. And of course, to find out information about the migration and wintering period, you know, we can't 
follow them along, you know, on foot or in a vehicle. So having these tracking devices that allow us to follow them from our computers and analyze those data that come in once the birds are, are moving south is just really extraordinary and is allowing us to answer questions about what their migratory pathways are, the site fidelity for some of these birds, stopovers and wintering locations. So we're just getting so much information by using these tracking devices on these, you know, select few individuals. Right. So what do you know so far? I mean, it looks to me, and it, just so our listeners know, you can go to Facebook and follow your Broadwing Hawk tracking site to see the maps and see where they're going. They all seem to skirt the outside western edge of the Appalachians. Does that sound right? Yeah. So what we're seeing is that birds that are coming from different areas of, say, their breeding range, are following different pathways. So the birds from Canada are really coming down that Mississippi flyway. And even we're kind of surprised that the birds from the New England area aren't necessarily crossing Hawk Mountain per se. We did have one individual from New Hampshire that flew right over the mountain, as Dr. Lori Goodrich was counting that day. So that was really cool to see. But some of them are are kind of going around the mountain. And of course, as your listeners probably know, it's all very weather dependent. And so wherever those thermals are strongest is where those birds are going to be flying. So they like soaring on these geothermals, as you said, because it helps them reserve their energy. Yep. Yep. That's exactly it. So now how long will it take them, do you think, to get down to their overwintering sites? Yeah. So we've had some, you know, on average, some individuals take anywhere from 80 to 90 days. And we've had some go less than that. So again, depending on the weather, weather systems that are coming through, and the urgency of some of these individuals to get south, we see a little bit of variability, but it can take 80 days or so. And how far would you say Hugger is right now in terms of days on the trip? So I actually, I zoomed into Hugger to kind of give your listeners a little bit more of an in-depth on what she's doing. So if you're okay, I could kind of do a little bit of a walkthrough with some timing so your listeners can see where she's been and where she's going. That would be fantastic. Perfect. Perfect. Well, for those that don't know, Hugger, of course, was kindly sponsored by the Bird Hugger podcast. And this individual was trapped in Bracebridge, Ontario, in the Muskokas on August 17th. And so she didn't depart Bracebridge until after September 8th, The date exactly, we're not sure based on the transmitter data, but she was moving sometime between the 8th and the 14th, flying south towards Hamilton, Ontario, along the Mississippi Flyway. Interestingly, Hugger did not go past Hawk Cliff or the Holiday Beach Hawk Watches, but was likely counted at the Detroit River Hawk Watch on September 15th, around 5 p.m. And what's really cool is if you go to hawkcount.org and you look up the count for the September 15th at the Detroit River Hawk Watch, you can see that they counted over 14,000 other Broadwing hawks that day. So Hugger was in the mix with, with those thousands of other Broadwings. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. And then on September 16th, she entered Ohio and made a two-day stopover in Pike State Forest and around Pike Lake State Park near Lantham, Ohio. And so that was around the 18th and 20th of September. Then on the 20th of September, she entered Kentucky. A day later, she was in Tennessee. And then she crossed through northern Alabama and Mississippi before reaching Louisiana on the 24th. 
And so right now, she has not checked in the last day, but we're assuming she's past Louisiana now, but it's just a matter of time before she meets up with everybody else. And what will be her projected trajectory in terms of continuing the uh, migration? Will she go into Mexico? Yep, she will definitely go into Mexico. She'll hug the Gulf Coast. She will very likely be counted at the River Raptors watch site in Veracruz, Mexico, and then make her way down through Central America. And the interesting thing will be to see what she does when she gets into South America. So Charlotte 2.0, a bird we tagged in Ontario last year, went down to northern Peru. But we've had some of our other broadwings go into Colombia, Brazil, Venezuela. So we're really anxious to see what Hugger does. Well, that is just nothing short of astonishing. (laughs) Now, I know from speaking with Lori previously that one of the big reasons for the tracking program is that very little is known about their behavior and their activities once they reach their southern destination. What are some of the things you're discovering so far since you've started the program? Yeah, so we're finding that there's a strong migratory connectivity between some of the populations of birds here in the north down into the southern regions. We're seeing a a strong amount of site fidelity, so birds that we have multiple years of tracking So say, for example, we find out where Hugger is wintering, she makes it back up north to the Muskokas, and then she comes south again, it's very likely she's going to winter in that same area. So she nests in the same area and she winters in the same area. So that's something that we didn't know before the tracking came out. And so this is a new insight that we're gaining from this. What can be gained from knowing that? I mean, is it because of there's plentiful food there? Yeah, I mean, we we kind of think like the birds, right? They're going to go somewhere where they're safe and they can find food. Really, food is the driver for them. And what we're finding, we we did a study a couple years ago with a former trainee, Sandra Quadros, who looked at their movements when they were on their wintering grounds and to see what types of habitats they're using and what threats they're facing. And a lot of the broadwings that we were tracking from that time period were showing some impacts from deforestation on their wintering areas. Some had a little bit of impact from illegal mining, as well as some forest fires. So it's really important for us to learn more about the threats these birds are facing at different parts of their annual cycle so that we can you know, make some conservation recommendations, whether it's preserving land or saying, you know, using these birds as indicators for the rest of the population. So now can you tell me, what do they look for when they arrive down south, say, in uh, South America? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> mm. I, I mean, from the data, we're seeing that they're selecting forest. So they're going to areas that are forested, which isn't surprising for a forest specialist. And it's not like they're moving around that much. You know, they kind of get down to their wintering site and what it looks like they set up some sort of of territory or just an area where they use throughout the winter months. And we assume they're down there hunting and enjoying the, the warm weather and all of the food that they have. Now, tell me, what is their favorite food? What do they usually go after? So they're generalist. Up here in the north, they really like small mammals like chipmunks. They also will go after small birds and snakes and frogs. People have seen them eating insects on the wing or on their breeding grounds as well. So they're not too picky, which is good. 
Now, how about down south? Is it uh, roughly the same? They go after small mammals and small birds? We think so. There's actually not many studies talking about the food that they're eating when they're down there. And so that's something that Lori and I have discussed that we would love to be able to do in the future is send a student or ourselves down there to really see what these birds are doing firsthand. Uh, But as you can imagine, that's quite difficult when you think about something like the Amazon forest and trying to find a broadwing who is very well camouflaged for the forest and being able to follow them and and see what they're doing. So, Do they usually stay within a very, like a one square mile once they get down there? Yeah, they're not moving around too much. The one thing that we're excited about with these new transmitters is that they're collecting more precise GPS locations. So what from the study we did in the past, you know, the, sometimes the transmitters would go offline and there would be a large error to the location of that bird. So say you have a coordinate, it could really be that the bird is within 1,200 meters of that coordinate. And so these new transmitters that we're using are very precise, up to three meters. And so we can have a really clear idea of the habitats these birds are using and if they are moving around more or less than what we previously thought. Wow. So now how long will huggers stay in South America, do you think? The birds, really, they're getting down there end of November, beginning of December. And we have some birds that don't stay very long, you know, maybe a month and a half, two months, and then they turn around and head back on migration. So it is a bit variable depending on the bird. Do you have a date when broadwings usually arrive back in the Ontario area? Yeah, so it seems like a lot of the birds are coming back, I want to say the third week of April, first week of May. So just like a lot of human snowbirds who go south. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, right so, before Thanksgiving, and then they come back in April, basically. Yeah, these guys have it right. <laughs> right, they sure do. Now, Hurricane Ian is being tracked right now by all the meteorologists. It looks like it's certainly going to hit Florida. Do you think that this hurricane could disrupt any broadwing migration? It's very possible that some of these birds that we're tracking might do a one to three day stopover, really depending on how the weather system is moving with their path. We could see some birds detour and kind of change their route and move out of the storm's way. So we'll have to see what happens here in the coming days. Now, how good are broadwings at detecting oncoming hurricanes? How do they know to get out of the way? Oh, man, I just would assume that is very instinctual to them, as this is something that this is what this species does. And so I would hope that they're good at it. But as you know, many people know, storm systems can be fatal for a lot of birds. And so we're going to cross our fingers and hope that these birds seek refuge and wait out the storm and that nothing happens to them during their journey. Now, if Hugger gets closer to Mexico before Wednesday, which is tomorrow or Thursday, when the storm is really supposed to hit, make landfall. Do you think she would be out of the clear? Yeah, I would think so. Okay. Well, I hope she flies right around it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So could you talk about a broadwing hawk in general, the broadwing's behavior and, and natural history a little bit, just so our listeners have a clear understanding of what this bird is like? It's, it's really considered a small, kind of stubby, compact raptor, correct? 
Correct. Yep. And a lot of people are most familiar in our area of the red-tailed hawk. And so it's a bootio just like the red-tailed hawk. And so it has those broad wings and that wide tail and really just great at soaring. But they're smaller, similar to an American crow. And they're really great flyers and they're very agile in the forest as well. And I think most people aren't aware of them is because when they are up here on their breeding grounds, they can be very secretive. Secretive when they're building their nests, when they're hunting, because they're a sit and wait predator. So they would be perched next to a road or under the canopy, waiting for prey to move, and then they'll come down and take it. They can also be very vocal. Some are very territorial and aggressive. And so if people get close to their nest, they could start calling and flying around and showing signs of distress. But they're a really cool raptor and they're super fun to study because they're very elusive during the breeding period, but then they're so numerous during migration. So it's really cool to be able to go out and sit at a hawk watch site in September and watch hundreds of thousands of birds pass over that, you know, in the spring and summer months, you're just searching the woods for hours and hours and hours, hoping to find one of their nests. Now tell me about that. Were you the one to find Hugger? So Hugger, the birds actually in Ontario, we have been finding hunting alongside the forested roads. So it wasn't at the nest that we trapped her, but we were doing road surveys and looking for broadwing hawks that way. So we're not quite sure if Hugger was nesting right in that location she was trapped or if potentially she nested further north and was on an early pre-migratory movement slash stopover before heading south. So we'll only know that information once she returns back to Ontario in the spring. And could you explain the whole process of finding a nest and finding a a bird and then putting the transmitter on them? Yes, of course. So here at Hawk Mountain, we have a team of amazing volunteers and trainees who come out with us in the springtime. And we search the woods for broadwing hawk nests and any indication that this species is in the area. And so we're out there We go to historical territories first and see if the bird is in, has returned to the area. And we look up in the trees and we're basically looking for a dark area in the crotch of the tree where there would be a nest of sticks. And so this species tends to build a new nest every year. So unfortunately, you can't go back to the exact same nest tree from the year before and say, oh, they're back everything's great, we can monitor this exact same nest again. They will move around within a territory. So once we find any indication of a stick nest, we'll monitor it. And if we see the birds using it, then we can confirm that it's an active nest and we'll monitor it throughout the season. And once we know that the adults have young, we'll wait about a week or two until the chicks are a little bit older and they can thermoregulate on their own and can be left alone at the nest, and then we'll go in and try to trap the adults. And once, if we're successful, we get the bird in hand, we take all of these measurements and assess their body condition and their fat and if they have any parasites, and then we'll ban them. For those that are of the appropriate weight and body condition, we'll put a transmitter on them, and then we'll release them back into the wild. 
So now, do we know Hugger's age? We don't know Hugger's age exactly. Budios can be a little challenging to age, especially after their third year. So we age birds based on their molt patterns. And we definitely know that Hugger is at least three years old. So we know she's migrated at least twice. Yes. Yeah. So she's not a newbie at this. <laughs> is there any other information about Hugger's nest? Do we know how many young she had? We unfortunately know nothing about Hugger's nest since she was trapped after the breeding season. So a lot of the times these birds will leave, they'll depart their actual nest site once the chicks have fledged and do these pre-migratory movements. And this is something we discovered using these tracking data to say, oh my gosh, that bird left the nest in July and left the young. And what we expect is happening is these adult females who've spent the last couple of months tending to their young and producing eggs, they leave the area to go build up fat stores for migration. So we don't know how and if Hugger had a nest the previous breeding season, but it's likely she did. And like we said, if fall goes well and the transmitter continues to work into the spring of next year, we should hopefully be able to know where she's nesting. So now tell me about their breeding. When do they actually breed? Is it when they come back up north? Yep. So like I mentioned before, depending on where we are in their breeding range, like here in Pennsylvania, usually the birds will arrive around the 15th of April, and then they'll start building their nests. And usually that takes about two weeks or so. And then they'll start incubating eggs, laying eggs and incubating their eggs in May. Like 30 days later, the eggs will hatch and then the young will be in the nest for another 25 to 30 days before they fledge. And these transmitters are very small. They're sort of like tiny little backpacks. So they don't interfere with migration or breeding or raising young, correct? Correct. Yeah. And there's been many, many studies done on this. You know, we're not the first people to put transmitters on birds or hawks. This has been done since the 1980s. And there's been studies to show that survival doesn't change. It doesn't interfere with copulation or raising young or migration. And so that's why we decided that, you know, we could go ahead and put transmitters on Broadwings because the size of the transmitters has gone down so, so much since the 1980s and that we wouldn't interfere with their day to day. And since putting transmitters on the birds, we've had one bird that we tagged, you know, it came back every year to the same nest site, was successful at breeding and migrating. And so we knew that the transmitter wasn't impacting them negatively. Well, that's great. Yeah. Well, I have to say you and Lori and your team are doing such wonderful work. And I think it's going to be very exciting to see what information you get back, you know, as you continue to track the birds. Everyone at Bird Hugger, all the listeners, we are just thrilled to be a part of this program. And we're going to be watching your Facebook site for all the updates. Do you think you'd be willing to come back on to give us an update maybe in a couple months? Oh, most definitely. We would be happy to do that. That would be wonderful. I would just like to add, I, we are very, very grateful for all of your listeners and the support from Bird Hugger and all of the sponsors and people just interested and engaged. And it's so exciting for us because we really do adore this species and to generate interest and, you know, just connecting people with nature is really 
really the ultimate goal, right? So we're thrilled to have everybody along on this journey with us and with these birds. So a big thank you to your listeners and everyone out there. Well, we couldn't agree more and we are behind you all the way. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful, wonderful. I'd like to thank Dr. McCabe for joining us today. You can find out more about Hawk Mountain Sanctuary by going to hawkmountain.org. To find out more about the exciting adventures of Hugger, our Broadwing Hawk, go to the Broadwing Hawk Project page on Facebook. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. Join Americans everywhere in the one-third for the birds movement. Dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife. Make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers. Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young. You will be rewarded with many hours of bird watching fun. For more information on One Third for the Birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook. And that's it for today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a great week and enjoy the birds. Bye for now. Bye for now.